Well, welcome here at Pathway Community Church. This is the last message in this series on the series called Cha-Ching, where we're talking about how to orient our finances, how we handle our finances towards the Lord. So, as we're carrying forward this morning, we're talking about giving generously. Give generously. If you have your Bibles with you, uh, for those of you who are watching online right now, I would encourage you to take out your Bible, use your Bible app, uh, whatever it is that you're going to be using to be able to follow along, I encourage you to do that right now. 2 Corinthians chapter 9, verses 6 to 15. 2 Corinthians chapter 9, verses 6 to 15. Now I'm going to be reading verses 10 to, uh, 10 to 11 right now, and, uh, and so... For those of you who are at home, this might feel a little weird, but one of the ways we like to show respect for God's Word here at Pathways, we do like to stand for the reading of His Word. So even if you are at home, and I know it may sound weird, would you just stand with me as we read this together? Here's what it says. Now he who supplies seed to the sower and bread for food will also supply and increase your store of seed and will enlarge the harvest of your righteousness. You will be enriched in every way Listen, so that you can be generous on every occasion. And through us, your generosity will result in thanksgiving to God. Let's pray together. Lord Jesus, I thank you that you are God and we are not, and that as we are looking into your word, you speak to every part of our lives, and you speak into our finances. And so, Jesus, would you help us to see things with clarity, that we would respond to you in, in obedience, but also in joy within that, Lord, knowing that what we are obeying, what we are walking into is something that will benefit so many other people that we didn't even realize. In your holy and precious name I pray, amen. You can have a seat. For those of you who are at home, please sit down. And if you were already sitting down, shame on you. <laughs> I'm just kidding, just kidding. Um, give generously. That's the title for this message this morning. And, uh, and the reason I think that that's critically important is because I believe that this reflects the nature or one of the attributes of who God is. And, and, and if you're going to write something down, if you're going to take note of something, I would encourage you to write this down. Generous giving leads to generous living. Generous giving leads to generous living. And by that, what I mean is I'm talking about the generosity that we experience from God results in our generosity to others. I'll give you an example of that in my own life. Uh, years ago, I was probably grade nine. So however many years ago that was. <laughs> the grade nine year, I, was, uh, I wasn't a believer yet. And in high school, and I had this friend of mine who was just an amazing guy. I met him through volleyball, and, uh, and in connecting with him, he connected me to his social network of friends, and they welcomed me in without any questions, and, and they were just good to me. But along with that, there was a couple, an older couple, that took me in spiritually, and they were his parents. Walter and Margaret Reimer. 
These are two of the most amazing people I think I had ever met in my life. And the reason behind my belief in that is, is that they took me into their home when they didn't need to. They cared for me in a way that was more like a spiritual set of parents where I didn't have those. I mean, I knew my parents loved me, don't get me wrong, but I had an awful lot of conflict with my parents for a wide variety of reasons. And with Walter and Margaret, they kind of came in and they came alongside me and they said, Rob, we're going to show you a different way. And so we would... My brother and I would experience this together. We would get on the school bus that was taking us from four miles out of town into town, and we would actually just walk from school over to their house, and we would sit down, and we would have breakfast with them. They would feed us. And every time we did that, Walter, and I don't know if he did this before we got there, I believe that Walter was an incredibly intelligent man and a very deliberate man. And so he would always make sure that we were doing a devotion at breakfast. That's what we did. And remember, I wasn't a believer, but I had such affection for them because of how much they cared for me, their generosity in relationship with me, their generosity in allowing me in their home, in allowing me to be a friend to their son where I could have been a really negative influence on him. And I'm not saying I wasn't always. But they were generous with their family relationships with me. And years, um, a year or two went by, and I finally accepted Christ, and, and then it just amped up. Walter was building into me like crazy, and I, had, I was just this young guy, brand new believer, and I saw the older generation as people that were just, you know, against us young people. They didn't like our hair, they didn't like our shoes, they didn't like our jeans, their music, any of that kind of stuff, and my attitude was really not good. And then Walter became very generous in his spiritual disciplining of me. And he challenged me about my attitude towards those that were older than me. I remember the conversation to this day. It was firm. It was a rebuke. And it was right. Their relationship to me was incredibly generous and grace-filled because of the relationship they had with Jesus. That was grace-filled. Generous giving leads to generous living. Here's another example of that, if we want a biblical example of what that looks like. 1 John chapter 3, verse 16 to 18, here's what it says. This is how we know what love is. 1 John chapter 3, verse 16 to 18, for those of you who are looking it up online and even here with us today, this is how we know what love is. Jesus Christ laid down his life for us. So there's the generosity from God, right? Check this out. And we ought to lay down our lives for our brothers and sisters. Generous giving from God leads to generous living from us. 
He says, if anyone has material possessions and sees a brother and sister in need but has no pity on them, how can the love of God be in that person? Dear children, let us love not, sorry, let us not love with words or speech, but with actions and in truth. You see what's taking place here. John is talking about this generosity that we receive from God, and he's applying it to us as individuals in the same way that Walter and Margaret applied it in my life. They said, we received this from God. We're going to extend this to others. Wow. Generosity. Unlike anything that we see around us today, God's generosity with us, according to this passage, should lead to our generosity with others. Now, here's the neat thing that comes along with this. Understanding this principle frees us, many of us, from some of the anxieties that we face. It absolutely does. Look, uh, we, we don't have to worry about what lies ahead of us because we're confident of the one who resides inside of us. I'll say that again. We don't worry about what lies ahead of us because we are confident in the one who resides inside of us. And so when we're talking about these generosity pieces and what we receive from God and what we extend to others, we have this fear in our generosity to others, right? We have fear of rejection. We have fear of, can I follow through with this? We have fear, even financial fears. We have fear, Lord, if I give this, will I be able to do this? We don't worry about what lies ahead of us because we are confident in who resides inside of us. Following through on this increases our sense of why we're here and, and because we're actively living as the one who places us here. I'll say that again. Following through on this increases our sense of why we're here because we are actively living as the one who places us here. And that's huge. And when you consider it, I mean, think about your own life. How amazing does it feel when you experience the generosity of someone else? But how much more amazing does it feel when you're the one being generous? Generous giving. We are ambassadors of Christ. We bring hope and life to a world that is so desperately in need of both. And even now, it's, things seem chaotic in our world around us. When we're seeing social distancing, when we're hearing all kinds of messages in the media and it's increasing our levels of anxiety, guys, we don't need to be worried about these things. Why? Because God is still in control. God is still faithful. We are still His children. And you ready? We still have a work to do. Even in the midst of all of this, we have a work to do. And that work that we have to do spills into the spirit of generosity that we have. It's part of the work that we have to do. So in our world today, we have a responsibility to those, let's say, are in a place of crisis. If you know people that are dealing with high levels of anxiety, reach out and be a calming presence for them. And by that, what I mean is you can text, email, 
phone, video chat. Leave a puppy on their doorstep. (laughs) Whatever it is. Help bring some joy and peace into people's lives in this time of anxiety. Now, as we're walking forward and we want to walk through this passage of Scripture, uh, there's some principles that we walk forward into. If you look at 2 Corinthians chapter 9, verses 6 to 11, there is this reaping and sowing principle that we find. Reaping and sowing. As a matter of fact, chapter 6 says this, Remember this, whoever sows sparingly will also reap sparingly, and whoever sows generously will also reap generously. Now, the language of Scripture, and and many people are familiar with this already. I mean, you've heard this before. You reap what you sow. That's the language of it. You reap what you sow. The fact is that we reap what we sow is actually good news. Because those who sow good habits, well, they sow good things. Those who are frightened by the thought of this, it's usually because we're sowing habits that we shouldn't be sowing. And so maybe we're dealing with things that are just crushing us, and maybe we're dealing with bitterness, and it's just crushing us from the inside. Maybe we're dealing with drug abuse or alcohol abuse. Maybe we're dealing with the neglect of family. Maybe we're dealing with mistreatment of others in order to climb the ladder of success. What we reap, we sow. I'll give you an example. Ready? Here we go. This is my attempt at a cultural word here in our region of the Pemina Valley. We cannot sow fatahan and expect pineapples. You catch that? We cannot sow fatahan and expect to reap pineapples. Uh, for those of you who are online or who have no idea what fatahan is, I will confess to you that the only thing I know is that it's a weed that just seems to keep growing back. I'm sorry? Porchalaca? Okay, I'm just not even going to try anymore. Farahan, I can say. (laughs) And it's a weed that just keeps growing back. Now, you can't plant weeds and expect this incredibly amazing fruit to be the thing that comes from it. That makes no sense at all. So we do reap what we sow. And let's not deceive ourselves. We will reap the harvest of our lives. We will reap the harvest of our lives. And so one of the things we need to understand then from verse 6 is that there is this reaping and sowing principle. The things that you build into, you should expect that there's going to be an outcome that comes from that, and that outcome is going to be dependent on what it is that you're sowing in. If you're sowing in good things, then you should be able to expect that good things are going to come out of that. If you're sowing in negative things, well, then expect that negative things are going to come out of that. If you are a distrustful person, for example, then you should not expect that others will find you trustworthy. It doesn't make sense. But if you're an encourager, one of the things that comes from that, one of the fruits of that that you sow, is that people will enjoy your presence. If you're filled with the joy of the Lord, people will enjoy your presence. If you are generous with people, they will experience the love that God has given you for them. And as a result of that, they will respond often in kind. 
And you may not even hear about it. It may be one of those things where you were just really kind to somebody because that's just what you believe you need to sow into. And then you hear down the road that somebody else was talking with this individual that you were really kind to. And then they say, man, that person is amazing. They were so kind to me. I just needed it that day. And they came through. And man, I just if I can spend more time with a person like that, you reap what you sow. In the topic of continuing on in the giving, it's a similar idea. When we reap generosity, or when we sow generosity, we reap amazing things. And we're going to talk about that a little bit further in the passage. But one of the things that's important here is that, is that our author, Paul, is, is stressing a heart issue here. He's not trying to tell them about some kind of investment plan, at least not materially. He's trying to get the Corinthian church to correct their hearts and to orient their hearts back towards Him. And as we do that, as we orient our hearts back towards Him, there's a heart change. And verse 7 speaks to something that takes place in that heart change. And verse 7, it tells us that we should give what we feel we should and be cheerful about it. That actually the generosity that we have in the giving is something that we can take joy in because we're sowing into something eternal. You see, that's what happens with God. Over the last number of weeks, you've heard it many times. God doesn't need your money. Right? God doesn't need your money. So what are we actually doing when we are giving? I want to suggest to you that we're sowing into something eternal. And when we sow into something eternal, when we say, Lord, this is going to be an expression of my worship to you, but not only is it going to be an expression of my worship to you, I'm sowing into this understanding and recognizing that you're going to use this to expand your kingdom, and you're going to reach people with your good news. You see, that's what we sow into. That is exactly what we sow into. In verses 8 to 11, I want to suggest to you that God can bless you for good work. Verses 8 to 11 say this, and God is able to bless you abundantly so that in all things, at all times, having all that you need, listen, you will abound in every good work. You hear the extreme language in it? Let me catch that. The language in it is bold. He says, and God is able to bless you abundantly so that, you ready? Here's the first extreme one. In all things, at all times, having all that you need, not all that you want, as Pastor Andrew mentioned to us last time, having all that you need, you will abound in every good work. And then it begins to describe what that good work looked like. And he begins to quote a psalm here where he says, As it is written, they have freely scattered their gifts to the poor. Their righteousness endures forever. And this is back to that principle that we are sowing into that which is eternal. We're sowing into that which is eternal. So we scatter the gifts to the poor. 
We're told that now he who supplies the seed to the sower and the bread for food will also supply and increase your store of seed and will enlarge your harvest of righteousness. And so what happens here is that we find that he's going to enlarge the harvest of righteousness. Now let's understand this. This is not talking about physical monetary gain. This is talking about souls going to heaven. Harvest of righteousness. And so when we're talking about this, we understand that as we sow into these things with an eternal perspective, we're going to be able to reach people with the gospel more. There's more availability. There's more opportunity. We'll enlarge your harvest will enlarge your harvest. And he says, you will be enriched in every way so that you can be, listen, generous on every occasion. Generous on every occasion. And through us, your generosity will result in thanksgiving to God. And so what we're finding here then is that when the hearts are changed and we move away from self and we move more towards God, What takes place is a spirit of generosity within us. I I truly believe this. I truly believe this. Any person that truly encounters the life-giving message of Jesus, that has truly found life in Christ, will exhibit a spirit of generosity. They will be generous with their time, generous with their energy, generous with their possessions, generous with their affections, to a limit, generous with grace, generous with their money. There's a spirit of generosity that takes place. In Philippians chapter 2, Paul says this, therefore, if you have any encouragement from being united in Christ, if any comfort from his love, If any common sharing in the Spirit, if any tenderness and compassion, then make my joy but complete by being like-minded, having the same love, being one in spirit and of one mind. He says, do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit. Rather, in humility, value others above yourselves, not looking to your own interests, but each of you to the interests of others. You know what Paul's saying here? He's saying that there's a whole new way to be generous. Consider others better than ourselves. To look at the good for the whole and not just our own personal best interests. To share tenderness and compassion. To look to the interests of others. These are all gifts and ways to practice generosity. It's not just our words. It's our actions that make such a huge difference. You know what set the early church apart from the rest of the world? They were persecuted and killed and ostracized. And the world had such a low view of Christians. Such a low view of Christians. But that didn't stop them. They kept doing what they believed they were supposed to do. There was actually a guy by the name of uh, Dionysus who, who uh, lived in the second century, and he wrote about the common life among the people within the pagan culture at that time. And it was estimated 
that in the Roman Empire, every town, village, city faced a major calamity about once every 13 years. And a calamity was something like an earthquake or a fire or a plague or a military conquest. And so we look at this and we say, well, what did the people do when these catastrophes hit? Dionysus wrote this. The pagans thrust aside everyone who began to be sick and kept a distance even from their dearest friends. They cast the sufferers half dead into the ditches and left them unburied. Not close to around the same time, there was another historian His name was Eusebius. He was a Christian leader within the third century, and he wrote this. The Christians were the only people who, amidst such terrible ills, showed their fellow feeling and humanity by their actions, by their actions. Day by day, some would busy themselves with attending the dead and burying them. Others gathered in one spot all who were afflicted by hunger throughout the whole city and gave bread to all. And when this became known, the people, the people, the pagans in the area, the pagan population, glorified the Christian God. They glorified the Christian God. And they were convinced by the very facts, confessed that the Christians alone were truly pious and religious. You see what happened there? You see, generosity of our time, of our energies, of our presence, has always been part of the Christian message. Don't be just hearers of the word, be doers of the word. Christianity was always active. There was never such a thing as people who just sat in the comfort of their pews and their seats in church. I mean, certainly they would listen to the apostles' teachings. They would gather together in smaller environments, but they were a people on a mission to people who needed hope and a future. The only people in those days who genuinely stood up for what they believed in and acted out of charity and love and generosity were Christians. Were Christians. For three centuries, the Christian movement expanded in one of the most dramatic periods of growth in Christian history. And you know the really neat thing that came along with this? The really neat thing? the countries of the Mediterranean world became filled with communities of believers. And the secret to all of this, all of it, was that they were known for their generosity and service. How amazing is that? Generosity. We are a people who receive the generosity of God so that we can extend generosity to others. 1 Timothy 6, verses 17 to 19 is another passage that talks about course correcting. And I truly believe that in our current world, in our Western society, this is true for us. 
1 Timothy chapter 6, verse 17 to 19. He says, command those who are rich in this present world. Command those who are rich in this present world. That's us. Not to be arrogant, nor to put their hope in wealth, which is so uncertain, but to put their hope in God, who richly provides us with everything for our enjoyment. With everything for our enjoyment. Command them to do good, to be rich in good deeds, and to be generous and willing to share. In this way, they will lay up treasure for themselves as a firm foundation for the coming age, so that they may take hold of the life that is truly life. You see what happens? You see, when we're generous, we take hold of the life that is truly life. Isn't that amazing? I mean, and when you consider a passage like this and you go back and you, and you look at other passages of Scripture where Jesus says, I have come that you might have life and have it to the fullest, have it abundantly. And you package these different pieces together about what it means to be people who have abundant life. It would seem that there is a spirit of generosity that comes out of it. Generosity builds relationship, verses 12 to 14. First off, I want to suggest to you that generosity builds relationship with God. Verse 12 says this, This service that you perform is not only supplying the needs of the Lord's people, but is also overflowing, listen, in many expressions of thanks to God. Our generosity points people to Jesus. And they thank Him. How amazing is that? They thank Him. And so, relationally, generosity points people towards Jesus. But it doesn't just stop there. Verse 13 says this, Because of the service by which you have proved yourselves... And when it talks about us proving ourselves, it's proving ourselves as those who are truly living a life that is worthy of our calling, that we are followers of Jesus. Because you have proved yourselves, others will praise God for the obedience that accompanies your confession in the gospel of Christ and for your generosity in sharing with them and with everyone else. Isn't that amazing? We live out the Christian faith, not just in the walls that we provide for ourselves, not just in the comfort of our living rooms or computer rooms as we're watching online, but as we are generous with the people that are outside our walls, and to consider what that means. And so, generosity builds relationship with God. It points people to Jesus. That's an amazing thing. I'll give you an example. Some of you are familiar with a, bed, a bunk bed or a bed project that we are uh, finishing up on. There are families in our community that, well, children are sleeping on the floor. 
And so one of the things we decided to do was we decided that we were going to not let that happen and we were going to build beds for these kids. So we did. And the local school liaison, this is the person who works between the school and the family to make sure that things are going in a direction that is healthy and good. They're providing for needs of the families and helping provide needs for the students within the classrooms. When the school liaison talked to these families, they had some great questions. Here's one. Well, what's it going to cost us? You see what happened there? You see, initially, it, it indicates that we live in a world that isn't very trusting. Right? What's it going to cost me? And then when the school liaison says to them, nothing. I said, what do you mean, nothing? Well, there's this group that just wants to do this for you. Well, who are these people? Well, it's, it's, it's a church in town. Well, which church? Right? And there's this, this attempt to identify what exactly it is that's taking place. And she said, well, it's Pathway Community Church. And they heard that you know, your kids are sleeping on the floor and they just wanted to do something for you. I said, really? Yeah, really. And they praised God for the generosity that they were experiencing from us. See, they knew us to be believers. And as a result of that, they praised the one in whom we believe. That's amazing. But it doesn't just do the relationship with God. It also builds relationship with us. It builds relationship with you. Verse 14 says, and in their prayers, listen, in their prayers for you, their hearts will go out to you. And so it fosters this relationship. It builds into this relationship between us and others, you and others. It builds it. There is excitement and generosity. And it says, listen, their hearts will go out to you and here's the reason why. Because of the surpassing grace God has given you. Wow. See, they, rec they recognize what God has given us. And because of that grace, their hearts go out to us. And they pray for us. You see, generosity... It points people to Jesus, but it also links people to each other. We're linked. Relationship builds. Remember the countries of the Mediterranean world that we talked about earlier? That those early Christians were having impact in? They became filled with communities of believers, and the secret to it all, I said it before, I'll say it again, the secret to it all was that they were known for their generosity and their service. Amazing. Generous, generous giving leads to generous living. Generosity is a lifestyle. It is a lifestyle in which we share what we have, what we are, or what we will become as a demonstration of God's love for us. That's what it is. And so we could say then that generosity is our response to God's grace. That's what it is. 
Generosity is our response to God's grace. It's not enough for us to talk about generosity, nor is it enough for individual Christians who simply commit themselves to being generous. What makes generosity a real and powerful witness to God's love is our actions. Generosity flows from a belief that all that we have, all that we are, or ever will be, is not ours to hoard. It's ours to share. It's ours to share. Because God shared His wealth with us, and we seek to bring glory to God. God shared His wealth with us, and we seek to bring glory to God. Our money and possessions are more than just an obligation we carry or a gift we receive. Jokingly, over the last number of weeks, we brought up the topic of a boat. And we brought up this topic from the perspective of that maybe the boat can be more than just for us as individuals. There's one individual in our congregation who took note of the fact that we were mentioning a boat. And they just, in passing, said to me, I can use my boat for ministry. I should take you fishing sometime. (laughs) There's nothing wrong with owning a boat. But maybe just ask yourself, how can you use what you have, what God has either given you, um, given you the capacity to earn towards, how can you use it, leverage it for the gospel? How can you use it to be generous with others? Our possessions, our money, is an opportunity to witness to the generous nature of the God who gives this free gift of salvation by grace to all who will receive it. To all who will receive it. Generosity is the fullest expression of the life of one who receives, one who has been given a gift, a gift that must be shared, bringing glory to God. And we're ambassadors to this. We are ambassadors of Christ, and we generously bring hope and truth and life to a world that's so desperately in need of it. And so I'm going to go back to this point that I made earlier, and that is this, is that everything right now might seem chaotic. Let me remind you, God is still in control. He's still faithful. We are still His children. And we still have work to do. And so let's consider what acts of generosity we can offer in a time when it is needed. Be inspired by what you hear about other people are doing right now. To be generous to others. Be inspired by what others are doing for those who are unable to do things for themselves. And even just think about that for a moment. Do for others what they can't do for themselves. Doesn't that sound just a little bit like what Jesus did? Do for others what they couldn't couldn't do for themselves. Our passage ends in 2 Corinthians 9, verse 15. It says this. After all of this, after encouraging generosity, after encouraging them to let them know that the 
generosity that they are displaying, that they are offering forward, that the feeding of the poor and the taking care of the sick and, and the taking care of anybody that had need, all of that generosity pointed people to Jesus. And it pointed people to them in relationship. And so after all of this encouragement, Paul says this, thanks be to God for His indescribable gift. Thanks be to God for His indescribable gift. Generous giving leads to generous living. God's indescribable gift to us was His Son. A man who grew up in a world who had no sin died for a world that was born into sin. God's indescribable gift to us was such an incredible act of generosity that He says, be like me. The language of Scripture is be conformed to the image of Jesus, right? Be conformed to the image of Christ. Be like me. 1 John 2, 6. Those who say they are in Christ must live as Jesus lived. Jesus was generous with His life, with His time, with His affection, with His grace, with His forgiveness, with everything that He was. He was generous. And he says, be like me. So, in this time of insecurity, in this time of unknown, in this time where people are feeling anxious about a variety of things, how can your act of generosity point people to Jesus and to you? And as you consider your finances, then my encouragement to you is to invest in the things that are eternal. God calls us to give to His church not because He needs our money, but because we need to be connected to something that has eternal value. That's our need. So let us be generous in our giving towards those things that have eternal value so that more and more people will be in heaven. And that's it. That's the math. That's the plan. We give so that we can get more people to heaven. So be generous. Be generous in grace. Generous in forgiveness. Generous in mercy. Generous with your time. Generous with your energies. And generous with your possessions, including your money. Be generous. and Help those who cannot help themselves. Help those who cannot help themselves. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, I thank you so much for the time we could spend here, and I thank you that you are God and we are not. And so, so incredibly thankful for the generosity that we experience from you. And while we were yet still sinners, you looked at our condition, our lives, and you died for us. And your desire for us was so strong that you laid down your life. Your generosity was so 
immense that we, as the, Paul, as the Apostle Paul says, it's indescribable in the fact that it is a gift. I thank you for your free gift. And I pray, Jesus, that you would help us all be like you. That we would look at your free gift and truly, truly grow deeper in our understanding of it. And that we would be like you in being generous with others. May we be to others as you have been to us. In your holy and precious name I pray. Amen.